0: Yep, Lance the really cute building supers on his way up, so I've cleverly jammed the disposal. <laughs> yep, I put ABBA's greatest hits on the stereo and well, of course I made two cups of romantic roast. I'll let you know how it goes. Okay, bye.
1: Oh, I made mean, to fix the disposal. <laughs>
2: Let's rock.
3: Thanks, Dad.
2: Can I get a open? Whoa,
3: No Man
4: Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children
5: Podcast.
2: Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast. This is Luigi. All right, I've had it. I'm sick of coming onto this podcast, seeing you hold down the couch, watching Oprah, and stuffing your face full of bonbons. Now, either you get your lazy ass in the kitchen and cook me a meal, or get out, Chris. <laughs> I'm
6: Chris Guster and I'm making a top 10 list for Marcy to make herself more attractive to her sex symbol husband.
7: Hi, I'm Carl. You may remember me as Mr. Wildcat on the YouTube channel. I am what Juan Valdez drinks when the missus is out of town.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We are reviewing Kiss of the Coffee Woman, Season 10, Episode 24. Original air date, May 5th, 1996. Marcy will not let Jefferson back in the house until he finds a job, so he hangs around at the Bundy's. Bud gets Kelly a part-time job in a romantic roast commercial, and when Kelly's co-star fails to perform up to expectations, Bud gets Jefferson the part. Jefferson's character Lance wins him legions of female fans, which upsets Marcy, but also ensures that two more commercials will be made with Kelly and Jefferson. But how will Al react when the script demands that Kelly and Jefferson kiss? Director Sam W. Orender. Writers, Todd Newman and Devorah Inwood. Special guest stars, Harold Sylvester as Griff. Leland Orser as the director. Brian Stewart as Lance. Andrea Natoli Kelly as Linda. Karen Lynn Scott as Dina. Susan Slome as Becca. Lucky the Dog as Lucky the Dog. And Gita Isak as the stage manager. And, of course, Kim Weisskopf voices the voice of Lucky.
8: You won't believe what Kelly's doing on camera. What's that bed for? Come on, Mr. Bundy, you're a married man. Yeah. What's that bed for? A brand new married part of a full hour tonight.
4: A wild bear terrorizes Springfield. Ah! And only one man can stop it. Oh, no! I've got the edge up here where it counts. Upper body
8: strength. It's going to get grizzly. Ah! on The Simpsons. I got you, Dad! Ah! A brand new episode, part of a full hour, next.
2: The title of this episode comes from Kiss of the Spider Woman, a 1976 novel by Argentine writer Manuel Puig. Puig, I guess that's the way it said. It depicts the daily conversations between two cellmates in an Argentine prison, Molina and Valentin, and the intimate bond they form in the process. It is generally considered Puig's most successful work. Puig adapted the novel into a stage play in 1983 with an English translation by Alan Baker. It was also made into an Academy award-winning film in 1985, a Broadway musical from 1993, which ran for 904 performances and won the 1993 Tony awards for the best musical book and score. So, welcome back, everyone. And welcome back to the podcast, Carl.
7: Thanks, Luigi. Glad to have you back.
2: Yeah. So, um, Carl, what have you been up to since the last time you recorded with us?
7: I've been doing very well. Um, in addition to working, uh, I'm a huge fan of college football and college basketball. Um, Arizona. Wildcats, um, that's my alma mater. Um, The football team didn't have a very good year, but we've landed some very good recruits for this upcoming season, and it's going to be very promising from here on forward. And as for our basketball program, we got a brand new coach this past season, and the team is on fire. Right now, we're in the middle of March Madness, and the Wildcats look very promising towards at least a Final Four appearance.
2: Oh, that's great. So, Carl, I have a question for you. So, you've been a very faithful fan of the podcast, and as I said off-mic before we got started, uh, you were a very consistent commenter on our YouTube channel and on our Facebook page, and uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on the uh, Michael Moyet and Harold Sylvester interviews.
7: Yes, I did get a chance to listen to those episodes since the last time I was on recording, and. Chris, you did a wonderful job landing those interviews, and it was very interesting to know a lot more in detail about, like, in addition to what Mary Children was all about, like what these other two had done other than the show, like the Jeff, like I know Michael Moyer had mentioned he did the Jeffersons and he did a bunch of other projects as well, and Harold Sylvester, I had no idea he actually played college basketball.
6: Yeah, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun talking to those guys, and uh, you know we really enjoyed having them. Uh, it's uh, something we'll be. You know, cherishing and, and talking about for a long time, I'm sure. I'm glad, glad to hear listeners are enjoying it.
7: Absolutely. Yep.
2: And, uh, you know, we're quickly coming to the end of Season 10, huh, Chris?
6: Yeah. Yeah. Time sure flies. You know, it feels like just yesterday we were starting, uh, you know, the beginning of, of Season 8, you know, when we first started doing this as a, as a team, Luigi. Yep. Yep.
2: And like I said, it's going to be bittersweet once we get to the end of Season 11. So Stay tuned. And uh, let's get started. So we begin this episode with Al Bundy making a grand entrance.
4: All right, I've had it. I'm sick of coming home, seeing you holding down the couch, watching Oprah and stuffing your face full of bonbons. Now you either get your lazy ass in the kitchen and cook me a meal, or get out.
5: Come on, Al. Marcy won't let me back in the house until I have a job. If you kick me out too, where will I go?
2: <laughs> don't know. Don't care.
5: <laughs> sure, you working people don't know how tough it is to find a job these days.
2: Don't you guys think it's funny that uh, Jefferson is just the male version of Peg?
6: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was—I <laughs> put in my notes here. I was like, Jefferson is like the lowest of the low. I mean, he's like. <laughs> He's literally just hanging out other, at another man's house all day while that guy works, eating bonbons and watching TV. <laughs> I mean, come on.
7: <laughs> and this isn't the first time we've seen Jefferson like this. I remember a couple episodes back, Agony and the Extra C. we saw Jefferson on the couch in his own home drinking Marcy's coffee while watching a soap opera. <laughs> so he's no, good, he's no better than Peggy, right.
2: indeed. <laughs> now, I mean, how believable is it? Like, you know, I think like the first time I watched this episode when – Al enters. I thought it was Peg, right? But obviously, like he never spoke to Peg that way.
7: <laughs> right. I thought it was Peg too, yeah. but never in my life would I expect it to be Jefferson. Yeah.
2: Now, now, one thing is, you know, later on, there's a reference made to Steve, which I believe is the last reference ever on the show to Steve Rhodes.
7: I believe so. Too. And
2: um you know, and we can talk about it when we get there, but. What I find interesting is, you know, when Steve was over the house, Steve would cook and clean and tutor and do all that stuff. If you remember in The Razor's Edge, you know, that's what Steve did. And Jefferson is the exact opposite.
6: Right.
4: Hi, hun. Ah, what a day. Give me a beer, will you? You know, every bride that came in the store today was complaining their husbands don't pay enough attention to them. You smell good today, pig.
8: (laughs) Not tonight, dear. I have a headache. Steve, what the hell are you doing here? I live here. But I want you to know, Al, I am not going to be a bother to you. So if I do anything that gets on your nerves, don't hesitate to tell me. Don't put your feet on the coffee table. I just clean that. (laughs) And don't scrunch up the pillows. I have to sleep there. Well, oh, if you're going to watch TV, remember I go to bed at 10:30 sharp.
4: 10:30, but that's when Peggy goes to sleep. That means I'll have to go up there with her.
8: <laughs> well, I hate to punish Peggy, but I need my sleep.
4: <laughs> well, how about this, Steve? Shave that bird's nest and get the hell out! <laughs> What's that smell?
8: It's food, Al.
4: Well, how'd you get the stove to work? Peg said it's been broken for months.
8: (laughs) Nah, I checked it out. Somebody just cut the cord.
6: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess Steve's character started to change a little bit once they realized that they were writing him out of the show. You know, he started being lazy and going to the zoo with the kids and things like that, but... He was never—he was never on Jefferson's level as far as laziness. <laughs> That's for sure.
7: Yeah, I noticed that once Steve lost his job at the bank, he he completely went downhill. He started kind of turning to Peggy, not wanting to work or work the same kind of work that Marcy expected him to work. Marcy would want him to go take another job at the bank, but instead he would be working like at, at, a, at a pet store or wanting to go work, wanting to go to the zoo with Peggy and the kids.
2: Yeah. So Jefferson complains that it's not easy to get a job, but in comes Bud, who proves that it's very easy to get a job.
5: Kelly, I got you another job! Damn, I'm a good agent. If I was a hot young chick, I couldn't keep my hands
2: off myself. (laughs)
0: You a hot young chick
2: (laughs) So there's this joke about uh, You know if uh, Bud was a hot chick He couldn't keep uh, his hands off of himself (laughs) (laughs) So now we hear about Romantic Roast
5: Just for that I'm not going to tell you who got the part In the next Romantic Roast coffee commercial
0: Oh please Bud please tell me
5: (laughs) Well she's blonde She's standing right next to me, and she doesn't have a brain in her head.
0: Could you be a little bit more specific?
2: <laughs> you, you dullard! What? I, got
0: I got the job? Oh my God, oh my
2: God! According to, like, sort of the coffee commercials, as I recall them, of the 80s and early 90s, I thought this was a spoof on Maxwell House French roast coffee. Like, they were very similar. I don't know if you remember that back in the day we had so little time left in france but we
1: savored the richness of this instant as though it would last forever
8: maxwell house introduces rich french roast instant coffee rich coffee roasted the french way no instant has ever felt such romance new maxwell house rich french roast instant regular or decaffeinated we can't give you France, but we'll give you the flavor
6: I can totally see that. I mean it it I mean I'm not a coffee drinker myself, so I don't particularly pay close attention to coffee commercials, but this definitely feels like a like a gag on coffee the coffee commercials that I remember from that era. It just, just the, the way they romanticize it, you know?
7: Yeah, I've seen a lot of fantasizing about the coffee commercial and stuff. When I uh, was looking up this episode I realized that it was actually Taster's Choice they were paradizing and not Maxwell House.
3: Hello. I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm having a dinner party and I've run out of coffee. Come in. Thank you.
8: Will gold be too good for your guests?
3: You saved my life the other night.
8: (laughs) The dinner party?
3: The coffee. Very successful.
8: How can you ever thank me?
3: I'll try and think of something. Are you always this late?
7: I won't be tomorrow.
3: What's
8: happening tomorrow?
7: I'm inviting you for dinner. And there was also some British coffee commercials as well that they were um, going after as well, which is probably where like the romantic roast comes into play.
2: Yeah, and we have a note from Annabelle. I mean, her opinion is it could have been sort of all of them, like all of the above. Okay. So Kelly makes a reference to basic instinct. <laughs> she sort of cuts herself short.
0: I mean, all I did was read the lines of the audition. I mean, I didn't even have to uncross my... <laughs> my fingers
2: or anything we've had references to that movie before
6: oh yeah I uh, the, the 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 leg crossing scene that i that i love the best in married with children is in the uh, season um six episode al bundy shoe dick where he's sitting at the detective's desk with um the, tracy, lords. tracy lords yeah and, And he goes, cross your legs the other way, baby. (laughs) And she keeps, she keeps asking him stuff like, "Sir, you get Mister Bundy? Are you going to take the case?" And he's like, "Huh? (laughs) Remember? Because he was looking at her legs. (laughs) Uh, what? What?
2: (laughs) I thought that's funny. It's like you know uh, when he's like, "Oh, I'll pay," right? Like, what was it? Like, how does? uh, Remember? Like, she said, like, what is it? How does a hundred? buck sound or something like that and he goes oh i'll pay <laughs> <laughs> yep
7: yeah and that's just one of those jokes i love the i love best throughout the entire series like random times throughout the show like you would have like kelly you would have bud they'd be talking uh, and then like th- they would realize like they caught themselves into a dirty joke and right before they got in the dirty part right in front of al and peggy they would cut themselves off and try to ease it off because <laughs> then i know we had this back in like i can't believe it's butter he uh, Bud tried to talk about like how you he was trying to say something dirty right right before he got to the dirty part he changes word into getting uh your money back for dialing the wrong number yeah (laughs) and then there's another one psycho dad part one of when he when they were talking about penthouse magazine they put the letters in the penthouse so you could and then he realized what he was getting himself, himself into and he noticed that kelly and Peggy were sitting there right next to him all grossed out, so she tried to change to like the, a different part of the penthouse. And then the look, the look on Al's face when Kelly tr- tried to talk about crossing her legs, that was very priceless right there.
2: <laughs> so Al shames Jefferson into getting a job. Look, you start, the, you start shooting tonight. <gasps> Congratulations, pumpkin. But what exactly is romantic roast?
0: Oh, well, it's this brown powder stuff that when you add hot water, it becomes coffee. I know, I know, I didn't believe it either But it's true
4: Jefferson, that settles it If someone with the IQ of a french fry can get a job You can too
0: Yeah But hey
4: Now listen, Jefferson I also want you to drive these kids Anywhere they want to go You want me to be a chauffeur? That's humiliating No, Jefferson, sleeping in Peg's couch dust is humiliating This is just a job, so Marcy will
5: take you back. Look, I appreciate that, Al, but I can't take money from your kids. Sure you can. You're stronger than the boy.
4: (laughs) Just shake him down when the girl's not looking.
2: (laughs) So now
0: we get to the commercial.
8: Okay, folks. Romantic roast rehearsal. Take
0: one. Yep. Lance, the really cute building super, is on his way up, so... I've cleverly jammed the disposal. (laughs) Yep, I put ABBA's greatest hits on the stereo, and, well, of course, I made two cups of romantic roast. I'll let you know how it goes. Okay, bye. I'm here to fix the disposal?
2: Now, what did you think of Kelly's acting? We talk about character consistency, so Kelly is usually supposed to be the dummy, but in this episode, she's really not as dumb as she normally is portrayed. Particularly when she is acting, when she's acting as an actress, right?
6: Yeah, yeah. Usually, uh, you know, we, we we talked about this before too. Usually, Kelly and Al, we we've seen Al in this position before too, where. They're purposely acting bad. Their, their characters is playing the part of someone who's a bad actor. <laughs> so they purposely play as a bad actor. Uh, we don't necessarily see that in this episode, at least not as much as in the past. <laughs> no, not at all. So we have a
2: reference to Lance. So Lance has been a name that's been used a lot on Married with Children for like who's supposed to depict a very sexy male. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't recall exactly the episodes, but I'd say we probably heard it handful of times right
7: yeah there's a there's a couple that do come into mind i think there is let's see one that definitely comes into mind is like season 11 crimes against obesity which we haven't gotten to yet and then there's also that episode where but where al bundy's birthday and the episode where peggy gives al the, the exotic photo he um she makes a she makes like a cake or something that she's gonna fantasize with lance about
2: and I th- I feel like Lance was also the name of like a soap opera, like when the Bundys are like watching a soap opera. It was probably Peg. And it's like oh oh Lance
6: Lance or something like that, right?
7: It was Jeff. That was Jefferson in the Agony in the Extra C. There
6: you go. Yeah, it'd be interesting if we could ever get someone like like Stacy Lip, for example, one of the one of the writers, one of the female writers. Would be interesting if we that'd be a question we could ask her. Was uh, was someone behind the behind the scenes? Were they Married to someone named Lance, or did they, you know, were they dating someone named Lance during the writing of the show? Like, <laughs> why uh, why so many Lance uh, references throughout the show? And we also have a reference to ABBA. ABBA is a Swedish pop group formed in Stockholm back in 1972 by Agnetha Fotskog, Bjorn Oveas, Minnie Anderson, and Annie Frid Lingstad. The group's name is an acronym of the first letters of their first names arranged in a palindrome. One of the most popular and successful mu- musical groups of all time, they became one of the best-selling musical acts in the history of popular music, topping the charts worldwide from 1974 to 1983 and
2: in 2021. Well, must have been uh, that Mamma Mia movie.
6: <laughs>
7: <laughs> it not that movie come out... Um a while back, like back in the late 2000s, early 2010s or something like that.
2: I feel like it just was on uh, a loop for a while. (laughs) No matter where you went, that's what you heard and saw.
8: Haha, very amusing Mike Tyson impression. (laughs) This time could you try it in a register, everyone can hear, not just dogs.
0: (laughs) Mm, And of course I made two cups of romantic roast, I'll let you know how it goes. To fix the disposal.
8: I'm curious. Exactly what part on Baywatch did you play?
1: The voice of Lex, the friendly dolphin.
6: All right, Lex, you're fired. I like the Mike Tyson gag there by the director uh by the way that's uh the the guy that plays the director there that's his second or third appearance how, how many times have we seen him now luigi do you know i, I believe third. this is the third appearance third okay yeah he's he's great at, at playing uh that part of a you know very very like sarcastic dry humor uh condescending <laughs> director i like him i know annabelle likes him We we all love him you know Yeah, he
2: was in uh, Saving Private Ryan. I mean, I recently watched the movie, and I was like, oh, there he is. It's the director. Wow. So Leland Orser was in The Naked and the Dead, but mostly The Naked, uh, which we reviewed, Chris. The Uh two that got away, I think we reviewed that one as well. That was with, um, isn't that the one with Shannon Tweed? I think so. Yes, Uh that was. And uh, this one, which is Kiss of the Coffee Woman. So we've covered him completely (laughs) at this point.
6: I like that. Uh, I like that Mike Tyson gag there. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, I've actually met Mike Tyson before. Met him a couple years ago, uh, probably about four or five years ago now, and uh, I can tell you, it, it's it's funny how you know just physically imposing he is because he's not a very tall guy. I mean, he's I, I guess about five foot nine, five foot ten, but it's amazing how he destroys these bigger men. And then you know, as the as the joke goes there, he. He's known for his very high, squeaky voice, despite, you know, obviously being one of the best heavyweights of all time.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know, actually, I share something in common with Mr. Tyson. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, interesting enough. No, actually, a birthday. Oh, okay. So, uh, wow. so Tyson and I and David uh, Garrison uh, have the same
6: birthday. I had no idea. I don't. I don't. I had no idea you shared a birthday with David Garrison. Yeah.
7: Wow. Very interesting there. Yeah. Like I <laughs> said,
2: so that in two twenty five gets you on the subway, right? <laughs> <laughs>
6: That's funny. You know, I have no idea. I don't think I've ever looked up before to see if I share a, a birthday with any celebrities. I'll have to look that up sometime. <laughs>
2: Yeah, like, you know, I don't, like, there's not too many celebrities, uh, I guess, on, on my particular birthday, but what happens is, it's like, I always knew that uh, Tyson was, and then I found out that David Garrison was, so, oh, there we go, right? There's not many more, though. That's pretty
6: funny. I mean, I I, I wish you could fight like Tyson. I mean...
2: <laughs> uh, only on the Nintendo game.
6: <laughs> Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, yeah. Right. That was a great game, man.
2: <laughs> uh what, One of my favorites back in the day. Uh we also have a reference to Baywatch, and we've covered Baywatch on the podcast. Uh, did you guys ever watch Baywatch and pay attention to Lex the Friendly Dolphin?
7: <laughs> I've never watched Baywatch, but I could definitely tell you Lex the Friendly Dolphin was definitely not a character in that show.
2: What <laughs> the voice of Lex the Friendly Dolphin! <laughs> Uh, yeah, like people were paying attention to the dolphins on that show, right? Right. Totally the reason people are tuning in, yeah. So when Lance exits, Bud comes up with the idea of using Jefferson, who's talking to his bookie.
8: Okay, let's just call it a day, shall we?
1: Bite me! <laughs> uh,
5: uh, Mr. Director, uh,
8: look, I think I know who can play Lance. Oh, I don't think you're right for the part. You look like he sounds. I heard that. <laughs> not, not me. I'm
5: talking about my, my other client. Yeah, and uh, put 50 bucks on Agile Angus to place. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Darcy, hmm. I think I can get you a job in this commercial. Why? What have I ever done to you? It's a job, so Mrs. Darcy will let you back in the house? Uh, Yeah, maybe you're right. I mean, it's not really work. (laughs) It's acting.
2: (laughs) Now, I think it's funny that Jefferson is like, you know, bud, like, what did I ever do to you? (laughs) 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 Uh, He's like so allergic to work, it's funny. Yeah. And, And, you know, he reminds me of like, I had this friend in college that would put like five hours of work into figuring out how to avoid doing one hour of, like, work, of real work. Like, you know, I I don't know how to explain it, but, like, you know, he would try to figure out a way. Like, let's say there was, like, a paper to do with something like that. He would always figure out a way of getting around having to do that, but it would spend more time. It was almost like a sport of, like, figuring out how to, like, manipulate the situation so you didn't have to do the real work. So uh, that's how I would uh, classify Jefferson.
6: Yeah, I I know people like that, too. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. It's like, dude, you could have done it already by now. <laughs> you could have worked already by now. Exactly.
7: Couple of things I want uh, about this scene right here. Like, um, that first Lance we have. Like, he had. I mean, he has the body for the part, but he sounds like a sissy. I- 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 that will always um, made me hilarious. It- that was Brian Stewart, right? The guy who played Lance. Correct. That- I don't know if you guys ever seen the movie Speed. Have you? Yep. With yep. Yes. This guy that plays Lance, believe it or not, I, I looked this up right before we went on the air, but like, believe it or not, this guy is actually one of the passengers in the elevator scene at the beginning of the movie. Oh, okay. okay. And then the director, I, I noticed he was in three different episodes. I, this is my most favorite episode with him in there. He, he, made a, he did a very good appearance in all three of them, but this one is my favorite one with him involved.
6: Yeah, he has some really, really good lines in this episode, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I haven't seen Speed in, year, in for years I may, may need to watch that again
7: and soon. Co- and coincidentally, this was, that was the first ever R-rated film I ever saw, because I know when you guys did uh, when when you guys reviewed Spring Break mm-hmm. a while back, uh, like one of the things that you guys had mentioned, like your favorite uh, the first R-rated movie you guys had seen. Speed was my actually first R-rated film I saw, and I actually um, we didn't see it in the theaters; we saw it on when it came out on video
6: was that movie rated R? I I don't remember it. I mean it's been forever since I've seen it but I didn't remember it being that bad as far as
7: I, I didn't think it uh, like like I never knew it was rated R until many years later but like I can re- re- understand why because like because of all the language that was used in the Okay,
6: film. I guess there's probably a lot of cursing in yeah, it. Yeah, I mean it's been years and years since I've seen that.
7: That that's the movie where they're driving
6: the bus and it has a bomb on it, right? And they have to keep it they that's have to right. keep it above 70 miles an hour or something like that. 50, 50. okay yeah I mean, I I probably haven't seen that movie in 15 years or more, but it was a good movie from what I remember.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what uh, Carl's referring to is Spring Break, and that was uh, Steven Tyler and Stefan. I do recall that conversation.
6: So what was your first R-rated film, Chris? Ah, gee, man. You know, it's like you read my mind. I'm trying to sit here and remember. Ah, gosh. I can't even remember. I mean... I know. I'm, all right, I'm, I'll, I'll tell you some movies that I probably saw way before I should have. D- have you ever seen the movie Gremlins? Sure. So that that yes. movie, so there's a whole story about that movie. Th- that's one of the reasons we have PG-13 because it didn't qualify for an R rating because there was no there was no nudity in it and there was no language to speak of. However, there was a lot of let's say scenes that are really not suitable for children. I mean, there's You know, people being attacked by you know by gremlins. There's a scene of Santa Claus being savaged by these by these gremlins. There's, you know, you remember that scene where Santa's being savaged. I mean, there's a you know a, a girl telling a story about her dad dressed as Santa and going down the chimney and breaking his neck and ruining Christmas. I mean, all types of things that really, like, frankly. Kids probably shouldn't be watching, (laughs) but I saw that movie when I was probably six or seven years old. I mean, it's not rated R, but it probably should be, or at the very least PG-13, but they didn't have a PG-13 at the time. But to answer your question, I can't even remember, man. Uh, Luigi, what what was your first R-rated film? Do you remember?
2: Yeah. You know, when I heard that conversation that they had on that episode in the spring break episode, I mean, quite frankly, Television and movies for me were not really censored by my parents. My parents sort of didn't care and I would just watch stuff. Uh, And I was looking at lists. I mean, it was definitely, I was very young. I mean, it was probably at least maybe I'm going to say six years old. So I went onto the list of films from when I was six. And one of them that popped out that I do remember watching you know, I didn't watch it in the theaters, but I watched it on VHS. It was Revenge of the Nerds with Ted McGinley. Huh. But I'd say it's probably one of. It, it may not have been the first, but one of the first that I watched unedited. Yeah, so I was I was about six years old.
7: That's one of my all time favorite movies. How about
6: that, you know, I, I know one. And I don't know if this was the first I watched. I'm I'm going to go the route with that you, like you went there, Luigi. I don't know if this was the absolute first one I ever saw, but I know I was. It's one of the first uh, Pretty Woman with uh, Julia Roberts and uh, Richard Gere. Uh, that right. came out when I was six, and I, I remember my parents um, renting it. <laughs> and the first time they watched it, they uh, they made me go to go to sleep because <laughs> they were watching it, you know. And uh, anyways, we watched it again, and we watched it a second time before we turned it back into Blockbuster, and they let me watch. So I would have been about six, maybe seven years old then. <laughs> I, don't right. know. I don't know if that's something really a, a, you know, a seven-year-old should be watching, but that was definitely one of my first R-rated films.
7: And Luigi, speaking of Revenge of the Nerds, did you guys know that that film was actually uh, filmed right here in Tucson, Arizona at the University of Arizona campus? I did
6: not. I did not
7: either. A lot of scenes you, you've seen that film, they're actually – that dorm that you uh, that was filmed there like I actually lived in that dorm for one summer coachie's hall and then that uh parking lot where they were doing the bicycle race and the drinking that's actually been removed and is now the optical sciences building
2: huh. yeah that was that, that was a great i mean that was a lot of fun uh, i mean i haven't watched it in years but a great great film i mean i think and they really tried to turn that into a franchise at one point but uh, i mean i feel like after maybe like nerds in paradise right I think maybe after like the third once they got to the third film it was just terrible (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah anyway let's keep moving on we see now the romantic roast commercial with Kelly and Jefferson
0: and of course I made two cups of romantic roast okay I'll let you know how it goes (laughs) bye
5: I'm here to fix the disposal.
0: I can't figure out what happened.
5: I see this all the time.
0: Can I thank you with a cup of coffee?
5: Mm. Mm. Romantic roast?
0: Romantic roast.
5: <laughs> long after the coffee's gone the romance lingers on and
2: on Romantic news. so on the couch al kelly jefferson and marcy are very happy and content that the commercial is a big success and they're making some money out of this
4: Congratulations, Pumpkin. Uh, As you know, acting careers are fleeting, so you should give me your money so I invest it wisely for you. Oh,
0: Daddy, you do love me. I do now. (laughs) (coughs) This commercial
4: is the best thing that ever happened to us.
3: Well, for once, Al, we agree. With Jefferson employed, our relationship has never been better. Mm
2: So the doorbell rings, and there's a crowd of girls standing outside who come in and attack Jefferson.
0: Ah, there he is! It's Lance, Mr. Romantic Roast Coffee Guy! Excuse me. Excuse me. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Mrs. Romantic Roast Coffee Guy. <laughs> Only on TV.
3: I'm the real Mrs. Romantic Rose Coffee Guy. <laughs> oh, you're his mother. <laughs> no, you twit. I'm his wife. That's impossible. This map to the star's home says he lives alone. Give me that.
7: <laughs> ah, there he is. He's wing us, Mr. Rose Coffee Guy.
2: <laughs> so there are three girls there. So we have... Andrea Natoli Kelly Karen Lynn Scott and Susan Sloan and they have speaking roles in that scene now Karen Lynn Scott is the blonde and what's interesting about her is that she played Aunt Heather in the season 6 episode 13 I Who Have Nothing hello Aunt Heather um,
4: We, uh, we missed you at the take. I-, I mean, at the wake. We were so sorry to hear of his passing.
0: Yes, your grief was evident as you tried to bite the ring off his finger.
4: I was kissing his hand. I love the man, damn it.
0: Well, keep your memories, then, and give me back everything you jackals looted. It
3: all belongs to me.
4: Who says?
0: My lawyer. Fork over the watch.
4: Well, he wanted me to have this watch. Uh, He probably even said so in his will.
0: Hmm. He didn't have a will. So it all goes to me. Give me the watch.
4: Look, you want this watch? You think you can get it? Well, come on and get it. (laughs) Come on, lawyer boy. You want a piece of this?
8: Don't push it, Bundy. There's laws in this town against stealing, not to mention overflowing a dead man's toilet.
3: Thank you. You should all be ashamed of yourselves. All I have left of poor Joe.
4: Come on, babe. The hawk shop's closed at six. (laughs) We'll send the police for the rest of this stuff. We got a plane to catch to Bimini.
1: Toodles.
2: Married with children loves repeats.
6: That's interesting. I was just looking up, I was trying to remember. Wow. What that, uh that episode oh that's oh that's the one where he tries to retrieve his uh his game ball that's a good episode
2: that's right that was with wendy Jo sperber
6: yeah yeah man that <laughs> wendy joe was the, the the former girlfriend right that's right yes yeah, they, they did a great job casting her she was great in that role
2: <laughs> yeah it's a shame she died so young
6: yeah sure was she, she would have been someone that'd be fun to talk to you know
7: she passed away
6: yes quite oh. some time
7: too i did not know that i must have been living in a cave somewhere
2: yeah, she was, I believe, like 47 when she died.
7: Yeah, it's
6: that's
2: a shame. Yep, 47. And wow. uh, she died of breast cancer. Mm. Probably her most famous role is as uh, Marty McFly's sister, Linda, in the yeah. Back to the Future
6: series. Oh, how about that?
2: Wow. So in comes Bud with the sign on him, you know, trying to exploit uh, the 15 minutes of fame that uh, Jefferson has.
3: What low-life would sell you this?
2: (laughs) Al,
3: you've got to do something about this ruthless exploitation of our families.
6: You're right, and I will. Man, I tell you what, every member of the Bundy family, and particularly the males, really, I mean, Al and Bud... And Jefferson, too. Whatever's going on, whatever whatever spectacle is going on, you, uh, you better damn well believe they're going to market it and try to make money off of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whether it be something as mm-hmm. simple as a, a female appliance technician working on the stove or working on the fridge or whatever. They're, they're going to either watch it or they're going to try to sell it.
2: And and it's usually Bud. I mean, the thing is, like Bud sort of gets the ball rolling and then people jump on the bandwagon, like yeah. Al and uh, Griff in the next scene.
6: Yeah. 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 Bud's an opportunist, man.
7: <laughs> he sees it before everybody else does. Yeah.
2: So now we cut to the shoe store where Al and Griff are uh, uh, preparing to exploit uh, Jefferson's 15 minutes of fame. And uh, Jefferson is uh, sitting around to autograph Lance Pumps.
4: <laughs> there you go. May I present the autographed Lance Pump. <laughs> <laughs> Price 79.95. Price Gary thinks we're selling it for 9.95. <laughs> <laughs> Let the purse jacking begin. <laughs>
8: will cost you a hundred bucks.
2: <laughs> Grow phone. <from laughs> they call it a purse jacking.
6: <laughs> you know, it's so funny because, I mean, obviously this is a gross exaggeration as with everything else on the show, but it, it, we, we as fans, we totally do this. I mean, like, you know, I go to these conventions where people... Stand in lines for for autographs and photo ops with comic book writers and characters and, and you know the actors that played the Power Rangers for Fox Kids you know back in the 1990s and and you know that was that, that's those are from shows from 25 30 years ago in my my childhood but and we, had fa- we as fans we totally do this we go we go pay money for for autographs and photos from our our childhood heroes you know and Al and Griffin Company you're totally uh, exploiting that right there
2: <laughs> now what I, th- I thought was funny was it's like <laughs> Griff says that groping will cost you a hundred bucks and that woman she just sort of hands it right over
7: <laughs> <laughs> grop on Jefferson
3: there you are
5: how did you find me here?
3: Well, Bud was also selling maps to where the stars are making whorish public appearances. By the way, did you know that Michael Caine is down at Orange Julius as we speak? But Jefferson, why would you sell your good name to line the polyester pockets of the lowest man
5: on Earth?
4: And you wonder why stars leave their wives. Look, Marcy, this
5: is all harmless
4: fun. This is just Jefferson's 15
2: minutes of fame. Yeah, it'll be over before your hair grows out. (laughs) So Marcy makes this comment. Now, this is what's funny. So I'm going to make a call back to the England episodes. Marcy says, did you know that Michael Caine is down in Orange Julius as we speak? Because you're referring to these whorish public appearances. So So, Michael Caine was mentioned as, remember when Jefferson counterfeited, what was it, a 20-pound note?
3: Any more bright ideas, Mr. A Little Counterfeiting? Never hurt anyone?
5: As God is my witness, I thought Michael Caine was on the five-pound note. It's the Queen. Just our luck. We run into the one guy who can tell the difference.
6: Michael Caine is an English actor, film producer, and author. He has appeared in more than 130 films in a career spanning over 60 years and is considered a British film icon. Known for his Cockney accent, Kane was born in southeast London. He made his breakthrough in the 1960s film with 1960s, starring in roles in British films including Zulu, The Ipcris File, Alfie, for which he was nominated for an Academy Award, The Italian Job, and Battle of Britain. His roles in the 1970s included Get Carter, The Last Valley, Sleuth, for which he earned his second Academy Award nomination, The Man Who Would Be King, and A Bridge Too Far. He achieved some of his greatest critical success in the 1980s with Educating Rena, earning him a BAFTA and Golden Globe Award for Best Actor. In 1986, he received an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his performance in Woody Allen's Hannah and Her Sisters.
2: So someone had something about Michael Caine, because like I said, he was mentioned in the England episodes.
6: Yeah, I think so. Right.
2: And uh, there was also a reference made to Orange Julius, which was in the England 3 episode with Igor. I demand vengeance. Seamus McBundy insulted my great-great-great-grandmother, and
8: I want revenge.
2: I bought you an Orange Julius in London, buddy. Yeah. Now the Orange Julius, you know, and I, I mentioned this before, is something that is popular. Really, I'd say on the West Coast, it's not something you would find in Chicago. And I've never had an Orange Julius. Uh, what about you, Carl?
7: I've never had them, but like I do know we have them out here in Arizona. They share a space with Dairy Queen, and I, well, one thing I do know is that Orange Julius they they specialize in different kinds of smoothies.
2: Well, you know what, Carl, if uh, you want to do a review of an Orange Julius, since it's been referenced at least three times on the show, we will put it up on the uh, YouTube channel for our fans. All
7: well, i got to do is find one Orange Julius around here, and I'll be happy to take care of that for you. Awesome. Yeah,
6: it's not a thing here in the South at all, either. I, I've never, I, don't, I don't think I've ever actually seen one <laughs> before. DQ's uh, Dairy Queens is, is what it's all about down here. Mr.
5: Darcy, great news. The people from Romantic Roast just called, and they want you and Kelly for
6: two more commercials. Hey, Luigi, so I got to ask, uh, how would you feel? So you, so you have kids. Your kids are, are still very young. But w- when your kids are adults, h- how would you feel about, you know, let's say your son was 23, 24 years old like Kelly here. How would you feel about uh, him doing a commercial with a, an, an older female neighbor, per se? Uh,
2: well, that, that's a great question. I have a cousin who's an actress. Uh-huh. Uh, she's done like some off-Broadway stuff, and I've seen her, you know, her do her thing. And when you're in that field, right, when you do that type of work, I mean, it's sort of one of the things. It's like, you know, if you're playing the part of this romantic part, you are going to kiss, yeah. Now, to the extent of the kiss, like in other words, you make it seem as if it's real. But I mean, I mean, later on, uh, there's a discussion about tongues, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a stage kiss, right? Sure. And it, and, and it looks a certain way. So I think that that is, it's normal. Like in other words, if you're acting, it's acting. Right. Right. But I think you have to, uh, I mean, it comes sort of with the territory. It's like saying, you know, you, when you're an actress many times like an actress might pose nude or like yeah. maybe not have certain clothing on or even a male actor, just because that's what the part calls for. So, right. you know, you have to, it comes with, you know, I say it's always comes with the territory, right. but not everyone understands that. And, you know, the way I'm going to liken it to for our fans is, you know, if you were to encounter Ed O'Neill or Katie Segal it's like you have to acknowledge the fact that it's Ed O'Neill and Katie Segal. Exactly. They are not Al Bundy and Peggy Bundy.
6: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so you, you make a good point. And some people don't understand that. You know, we we've talked about this before. Understanding the difference between a person and a performer. You know, like I, I, I you like if I ever were to encounter Ed O'Neill, I would never walk up to him and like put my hand down my pants or something crazy, like some reference to the show, you know, (laughs) I'd be, I would say, Hey, Mr. Mr. O'Neill, you know, (laughs) and hopefully he would talk to me. (laughs) Right. And,
2: you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, people sometimes have this problem. I mean, even going back, uh, I remember there's like uh, these articles I would read about the honeymooners, for example. Uh So I'm a big fan of the honeymooners. And people were watching the honeymooners in the 1950s, and they were sending curtains to the show uh because they were like, you know, Alice's kitchen, it's like, well, you know like they were so poor they couldn't afford curtains, so people were sending curtains, and it's like, well <laughs> it's not real, I mean we're, we're trying to show a story to you right yeah and I think that it's the same thing with when you know someone is performing, whether it's on film or on stage and all that. I mean, they're not the actors, I mean, and we've seen that in all the interviews that we've had over the last uh, few seasons.
6: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Juliet Tablack is not a free spirit like Amber. Yeah. Uh, You know, Harold Sylvester is not a divorced uh, man, you know, with uh, like, you know, very few job prospects. I mean, he's a very very accomplished, uh, you know, academic and athlete and, married 52 years. Yeah. You
6: know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Harold, uh, he, he pointed out himself. He's like, he couldn't possibly be any more different than the character that he plays in Married with Children. He's happily married and his, his wife is his rock and everything, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of actors, I, I guess I can't say all, I can't speak for all, but a lot of actors and actresses are like that. They're way different than, than the parts they play, but that, that, uh, that shows the, you know, if they're, a good performer or not.
2: <laughs> right. I mean, you know, the same was of uh, Lisa Picard and Jennifer Lyons, you know, absolutely. I mean, they're obviously they don't, I mean, they are not like their part. I mean, I think one of the things we always ask is there's always some, maybe an element of their personality that's in there. And they, which is true sometimes, but you know, you have to look at it from that perspective and, you know, and I just hope that uh, like people uh, uh, get that. Right.
6: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And well, what are your thoughts on that? Carl?
7: And then also take Christina Applegate for example she's been throughout most of the series she's been portrayed as a dumb blonde and a slut when in reality she's one of the, she uh, was one of the best performing students in our graduating class Absolutely
2: uh, you know I can understand cuz there are ob- there are fans and then there are certain kinds of uh, i'm gonna sorry for this term psychotic fans right <laughs> that that are out there and it's like they they don't understand the difference between what's real and and what's fake and you know for someone like Christina Applegate, you know I sort of have some p- sympathy for her when uh, you know I'm, I'm sure back in the day and I'm not a, you know she had stalkers and maybe people who thought that she was her character you know I mean we obviously we we analyze these episodes for you know for comedy you know we talk about them for like two hours just to have something to talk about right but um mm-hmm. you know i i think we we do a fairly good job of separating the actor or an actress from the from their individual characters
6: right yeah you know luigi you're talking about you know stalkers and 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 like uh uh, female actresses there was the the guy you know sometimes they they turn out to be really dangerous you know there was the guy uh I'm, his name's escaping me but the, the the guy that attempted to assassinate president ronald reagan he was
7: john, john, john
6: Hinkley, Jr. yeah john Hinckley. he was obsessed with is it jody foster yeah he was obsessed with jody foster and he cooked up this this idea in his head that if he assassinated the president that would get her attention and that, you know, she would somehow be interested in him and would fall in love with him or he would have a shot with her, which is totally crazy. I mean, just like, yeah, uh, like what kind of psychotic person would come up with that in their head? You know, it's, it's pretty crazy, but yeah, there, there are instances where it it turns, it goes from being crazy to being psychotic and and dangerous for, for people involved, you know?
2: Definitely. All right. So, We see another commercial. So we see the second commercial with uh, Kelly and Jefferson.
0: Lance, why don't you finish your romantic roast while it's still hot and steamy? (laughs)
1: Lila,
5: that's not the only thing that's hot and steamy.
0: (laughs) Oh, Lance.
8: Oh, Lila.
0: Oh, shoot me.
8: (laughs) Romantic Roast. What Juan Valdez drinks when the missus is out of town.
2: And uh, the tagline is Romantic Roast. What Juan Valdez drinks when the missus is out of town. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a mention of Juan Valdez.
8: More and more people are waking up to Juan Valdez and his 100% Colombian coffee. And so can you. Buenos dias. Just look for Juan on the label when you're shopping. You can't miss him. 100% Colombian coffee. The richest coffee in the world. So
2: Juan Valdez is a fictional character who has appeared in advertisements for the National Federation of Coffee Growers of Colombia since 1958, representing a Colombian coffee farmer. The advertisements were designed by the Doyle Dane Burback Ad Agency with the goal of distinguishing 100% Colombian coffee from coffee blended with beans from other countries. He typically appears with his mule Conchita carrying sacks of harvested coffee beans, He has become an icon for Colombia as well as coffee in general, and Juan Valdez's iconic appearance is frequently mimicked or parodied in television and other media, just like on this show. Now, we have what I believe is a historic line that is uttered by Marcy.
3: Al, don't you see where this is going? Jefferson is getting famous and more and more women are throwing themselves at him. And before you know it, he'll be gone. I'll be all alone. It'll be just like when Steve left. It's a very scary thing. You understand?
2: (laughs) Wow. So when I heard this and I was watching this episode, I thought to myself, you know what? This, I believe, is the very last reference to Steve Bartholomew Rhodes.
7: I think it is,
6: too. Yeah, I think so, too. It's a sad moment. Very sad and bittersweet.
2: And, you know, like I said at the beginning, I mean, in terms of Jefferson being the peg, like, you know, he is the male peg for Marcy. I mean, this episode could not have been written for the Steve Rhodes character.
6: Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It, it, wouldn't it would never have, have been done. Yeah. The, you know, that's you make a good point. I, that, that's that's my response. When 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 people ask me, you know, uh, Chris, are you team Steve or are you team Jefferson? My response is always the same. It's that I'm team both of them. (laughs) And the reason why is because we got Steve when we needed him in seasons one through four. Jefferson would not have worked in seasons one through four. He's too crazy. He's too wild for, for that era of the show. You know, that's back when the show was much more grounded. Jefferson's character would not have worked. On the flip side, Steve's character would not have worked in seasons five through eleven. You know, particularly once you get later on in the show, as the show got to be more cartoonish and more Looney Tunes like, Steve's character would not have fit in well at all. So, I'm team both of them. You know, I, I appreciate Steve for when we had him. You know, he, you know David Garrison. You know, I, I think Alex and and the gang. You know, when they were when they were going through the first handful of seasons, they they talked a good deal about how the character of Steve was actually uh, written and invented for David Garrison. And we were really, really lucky to have him when we did. And then, you know, it was, it was a shame to see him leave, but, you know, once he left, we were really lucky that we got someone as talented, uh, and experienced as, as Ted McGinley, you know, because chemistry and having all the intricate parts in place where you need it is really, really important for a show, you know, and, and, um, a lot of shows to have a main character leave, you know, might kill the show. But Married Children was very lucky and fortunate to get uh, Ted McGinley when they got him to play the role of Jefferson Darcy. But I'm on team Steve and Jefferson. I, I appreciate both of them, and both of them worked perfectly for the era that they were in. So, but yeah, I totally agree. I think that's the last mention of Steve. It's uh, bittersweet. So. Uh,
2: Carl, so uh, what camp do you fall in?
7: I'm gonna have to rule in favor of Team Jefferson, mainly because the later parts, uh, the later seasons of Married Children were the, my first introduction to the show, and I never even saw or heard of Steve until we until the first episodes of the first season of Married Children was introduced to me, and this was about two or three months after I have started watching the show. So like, I, I, I basically gotten used to Jefferson as time went on, and like Chris did, word it perfectly like. Steve worked best for the first part of the show, and then Jefferson worked better for, this, for the later part of the show. And quite honestly, Jefferson, like in my opinion, Jefferson, he made he made the perfect fit for Al a- as a sidekick for Al a- in the later parts of the season, especially when they got into the Looney Tunes. Um, it was so much funnier without. I mean, it was so much funnier having Jefferson in there. Um, and to even think having Steve in there, like it, it wouldn't have been as funny as it was with Jefferson.
2: I, I don't disagree with Chris and I've sort of echoed that, but the one thing I will say is that really of the two, my favorite is Steve. And the reason why is I really think that when you look at Married with Children in its uh, original incarnation in the first few seasons, when it's sort of like laying the groundwork for what the show was, The main character, I can argue, is not Al Bundy. The main character is actually Steve Rhodes. And the reason why I say that is, you know, Al Bundy as a character, when we first introduced him, he is established. In other words, he is who he is. He doesn't change. Neither does Peggy, to some degree. But Steve and Marcy, when they walk in, they are these idealistic newlyweds. Who, have, who act, quote-unquote, like perfect people and perfect neighbors. And it is then the job of Al to bring Steve down to his level. I, mean, I think you guys are maybe very familiar with, you know, like those diagrams like the ascent of man and you sort of have, like, you know, the like evolution. It's like you have, like, the, the gorilla who eventually becomes into a human and you have the different stages of ev- evolution. Yeah. Steve Rhodes devolves. Mm-hmm. From season one, episode one, until his final appearance in season four.
6: Yep. Yeah, he's totally different. Uh, yeah, we, there's <laughs> it, no doubt about it. Uh, Al, and, Al and Peg, y- you can sort of see it almost from season one, episode one. Alan, and Peg start to corrupt uh, Steve and Marcy in their own way. You know, like, like you said, they're like the the perfect couple. Uh, Steve and Marcy are like the perfect couple in season one, episode one. The perfect newlywed couple. And uh, Al, you know, starts to corrupt Steve, and Peg starts to corrupt Marcy, and, well, you know, their marriage eventually falls apart.
2: <laughs> right. And, you know, that is the opposite, generally, of what sitcoms do. Because usually the whole point of the sitcom is to make people better, into better humans. Even Michael Moyer in his interview, he talked about things were done for altruistic reasons. But really, when you look at the characters, see, Jefferson as a character, from his first appearance as Jefferson, Right. He is the same character from season five. I believe that was like episode 12 all the way to the end. I mean, he really doesn't develop very much as a character and, you know, they did talk about Moyer did speak about how they did put a lot of thought into Jefferson, but I felt like as a character, he did not really evolve or devolve the way. He was presented to us was once we see him, we understand he's a charlatan, you know, whatever you want to call him. Right. But to me, I think it, the most fascinating character to me is Steve Rhodes, just to see like how he comes down to the level of the Bundys. I don't know. That might have been too deep for everybody. <laughs> but that's my, that's my view of him.
6: Yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said. You couldn't have said it better.
2: Al explains to Marcy the top 10 things that she can do to make herself more attractive for her sex symbol husband.
4: Yes, I do, Marcy, and, and to help you out, I made a top ten list of things to make you more attractive for your for your sex symbol husband. Uh oh. Number ten: wear traditional Islamic garb covering all but the eyes. Number nine: feather removing electrolysis. Number eight, ski mask. Number seven, sew up holes in ski mask. Number six, hire attractive woman to stand in front of you at all times. Number five, beak job. Number four, put paper bag over ski mask. Number three, shave head, tattoo Cindy Crawford's face on back of head. Learn to walk backwards. Number two, poke out eyes of every man on earth. (laughs) Number one, get president to make every day Halloween.
2: Now, if I remember the top 10, that was a David Letterman thing, right?
6: Yeah. Yep. I had that in my notes. I was like, wasn't that David Letterman that used to do that? (laughs)
2: Number 10, which was wearing of the traditional Islamic garb covering all but the eyes. That one I find interesting post 9-11 because I think we all learned that it was called a burqa, right, after the fact. But at that time, you know, again, and this is 1996, we, it didn't really have a name. We just sort of know what it looked like, right? Right, right. You know, and of course, as a reference to Cindy Crawford, and we've covered her before.
3: I don't understand you, Al, although perhaps that's the fault of that cow sized tongue inside your peanut sized head! <laughs> hey, do I make fun of you? <laughs> Doesn't it bother you that your daughter and my husband are living a soap opera romance?
4: No, Marcy. But the difference between me and you, Marcy, outside the fact that my feet aren't a
2: Chinese delicacy. <laughs> Is that I know the difference between fact and fiction. So Al and Marcy are talking about this, I guess you might call it fantasy that people are living between uh, Kelly and Jefferson, right? Lance and Lila, correct? Lila was her yeah. name? Yes. Now, Al makes a funny line. Uh, I'll just take a pause on this one. She says, outside the fact that my feet are in a Chinese delicacy.
6: Uh, have, have either of you
2: ever had dim sum?
6: No, I don't think I don't think so. L- let me look it up real quick. I, I gotta. Have you had dim sum, uh, Luigi? A dim sum
2: is really like the, the traditional way of eating. Of real is what real Chinese food is in terms of how it's served. I mean, and also prepared. So the way it works is, Americans we generally eat, you know, Chinese American food. We actually don't eat true what's true considered true Chinese food. Right. But I. Uh, Spent most of my life in, a, in an Asian neighborhood, so I'm very familiar with dim sum. And the way it works is usually you go into like a dining room, you sit down, and generally people come out with like tray, like little trays, and what happens is it's like you pick something, maybe like a dumpling, mm-hmm. and, and you effectively are paid by piece. And tr- true Chinese food is actually really not fried. A lot of it is like steamed, a lot of vegetables and stuff. So one of the things that my first time having dim sum, somebody brought out a uh, chicken foot, right? <laughs> and put it on the plate. So I told him, like, this is a delicacy. So I'm like, all right. So I take, I, you know, I took it and I ate it. And, you know, so my friend uh, said to me, he what'd you think? I mean, he really wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. I was like, was like, it's okay, but it's crunchy. And he was like, no, you're supposed to, like, suck the the meat off the foot. You're not supposed to eat the bone. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> uh but i said it was tasty
6: (laughs) yeah i don't think i've had it i think when you said dim sum i was thinking of uh have you ever had hot pot before yes i think i was thinking of hot pot but yeah i don't think i've i mean i guess there could have been some there but i don't i don't think i've eaten dim sum really so
7: now that you guys mention it I'm, i'm i'm looking up dim sum right now as we speak and uh one of the things that shows up on here are wontons and those i've definitely had
2: It's really more of a style. Like I said, it's not necessarily the food, but I'd say it's more of like the way that it's done. Like in other words, they they come out and they give you like, it's like portions and you pick your portions. And at the end, it's like effectively, they, they, they keep a piece of paper next to you. So for each thing that you eat, it's like they check it off. It's like, all right, you know, you have two of these or three of these, et cetera. And it's a Cantonese style as well. So from the Canton region, that's very traditional for them. All right. I don't know. You guys might think I eat uh, Italian food all the time, right? (laughs) Not true.
7: I eat a little bit of everything. Chinese, Mexican, Italian, you name it.
2: Yeah. Well, as Al Bundy said, it's like, you know, (laughs) I I enjoy it when my mouth is alive with dead animals of every race and religion.
6: (laughs) I try to eat a little bit of everything. You know, it's it's uh in In my travels i actually do have a a story about something I ate once on a layover in china. I don't know if I should tell it or not should <laughs> should I gross our listeners out? what do you think you opened the door so close it man all right well Go ahead. i'll I'll give you the abbreviated story because I could talk about it for an hour but basically we were on our on our way to the great wall of China and i stopped at at, at a um a mar- basically like a little night market. Cause we left super early in the morning. And, um, uh, I-, I thought I was buying some bread, sausage and cheese. Like I was thinking I was going to make a-, a little sandwich, you know, it's not breakfast of champions, but it's a-, it's a little sandwich, something to eat. Anyways, the sausage turned out to not be sausage <laughs> or it turned out to not be sausage in the traditional sense that we think of. It was, it was actually made from like dog scraps (laughs) and i and i'm not even kidding either i the the person that told me that i thought they were just bullshitting me but i actually looked it up and it was made from from dog scraps i i still have the i still have a picture of the wrapper i'll post it on the page but just for the record so everyone knows i only ate about half the sausage it wasn't the whole thing but yeah so i usually whenever i'm on layovers in my travels i try to immerse myself in the culture food and, and what have you but the rest of that trip in Beijing I stuck to Pizza Hut and McDonald's <laughs> <laughs> I telling you man I stuck to Pizza Hut and McDonald's the rest of that trip so yeah uh... well you, you know what was the funny thing about that the part I left off is is whenever I whenever I bought that, The other flight attendants I was with, they were kind of teasing me. They're like, dude, Chris, you're going to end up eating a cat or a dog or something. I'm like, "Ah, y'all, don't be stereotypical. That's just a stereotype. You know, it's not true. Well, it was true.
2: (laughs) You know, I I never knock what people eat because let me tell you, (laughs) to survive or whatever the, you know, I mean, some people think of them as pets. Yeah. Like, you know, other people think of them as food. I mean, look. Yeah. In Europe, it was very common to eat horse. Yeah, uh, until probably you know somewhat uh, recently. Yeah, but you know as things have been domesticated and all that, cats, dogs, and all that. I mean, it's it is what it is. Yeah, you
6: know? I mean, heck, you know, e- even to this day, you know, I, I think if it, I, I believe it's Cambodia, if I'm not mistaken, they consider like uh, tarantulas to be like a delicacy.
1: <laughs> right. Wow. E- even, to
6: this, even to this day. So you know, and and I, and I think. I'm pretty sure, and I guess Annabelle and Matt could correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure in Australia it's not uh, uncommon to eat, like, uh, kangaroos, if I'm not
7: mistaken. I wouldn't be surprised.
6: All right. So Bud comes in
2: and presents us with the dilemma of this episode. Well, I'm glad you
5: feel that way, Dad, because uh, I was a little worried you might have a problem with this next commercial. Why? What's in this commercial? Well, Mr. Darcy and Kelly have um, to—they have to kiss— What? Uh I'll kill him first. Dad, it's
4: only a commercial. One that's gonna make us a lot of money. Bud, there are some things more important than money. Kelly's lips are never gonna go where Marcy's lips have been.
3: Yeah. Well, my Jefferson's lips are never gonna go where everyone else's lips have already been.
4: That's right.
3: Hitting at? I'll break it to you later, Al. Right now, let's deal with this situation. Ah, well, what are we
4: worried about? Kelly, you'll never go for this.
0: Hey, did you hear the good news?
4: (laughs) We're going to kiss on television.
3: Jefferson, honey, can I have a word with you in our own kitchen by the recently sharpened nights?
8: Goodbye, Lila.
2: Bye, Lance. They're going to kiss. Oh, my God. So, I mean, if if you were Al, like, how would you react to that?
6: I, I mean, truthfully, I mean, it's hard to put my, you know, I don't have kids, so it's difficult for me to put myself in a in a parent's shoes. But. I always just fall back to understanding the difference of between a, a, a performer and a character, you know, if, if right. Kelly, if Kelly's going to kiss, uh, uh, you know, if my daughter's going to kiss someone in front of the camera, I like to think I would understand, Hey, she's an actress. She's going to kiss another actor.
2: <laughs> right. But this is also, you know, your sleazy next door neighbor.
6: That is true. That's a, that's a, fair, <laughs> point. That's a fair point. I mean, and, and and I don't know, it's hard for me to put myself in that shoes because I'm not a parent, but uh, I always try to understand the difference between a performer and a, and a character, you know, it's like, it's the same with, you know, a lot, nowadays, everything is so open as far as on social media and Twitter and stuff, you know, people get upset because their favorite actor or singer has different political views as them or whatnot, you know. I don't care. I mean, there's there's almost nothing that a that a, a actor or singer or sports or, or athlete could do or say politically that would upset me. <laughs> you know, when I when I watch a movie or a show, I watch for entertainment. So I always try to understand the difference. But I don't know. How about you, Carl? What would you think?
7: Well, it, 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 for the most part, it would depend on the situation. Do we know the person? Um, and uh, how well do we know that person? And whether or not is it. Uh, do we really know whether or not it's going to be acting or if it's going to be a real thing? Like, depending on how those two things fit together, would determine whether I would feel comfortable with it or I would say, "Hell no, you're not kissing them." Yeah,
6: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like, and you hit the nail on the head on the head there. Is it real or fake? I mean, it'd be totally different if they were doing a porn, you know, like if they were having sex on camera. <laughs> but <Right>. you know, <laughs> a harmless a harmless kiss after a cup of coffee. I don't know. I don't think that would bother me. Something like this I wouldn't have no problem with. How about you, Luigi? I mean, you you already kind of touched on it earlier a little bit.
2: Well, I mean, if I was Al, I I would probably be a little uh, (laughs) apprehensive just because it's like I know that uh, my neighbor is a little sleazy, yeah, and uh, he's hung out with me in the
6: nudie bar. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. (laughs) Kelly,
5: we have to have a talk. Um, As her agent, I strongly advise my client not to listen to Shut it. up! Or it's five across the eyes. <laughs> Kelly,
4: I've given you good fatherly advice in the past.
0: Daddy, you have never given me fatherly advice.
4: Okay, then here's some advice for someone 100 pounds heavier with an 8-inch reach
0: advantage. You are not kissing the neighbor. Daddy, I am grown up, and you can't tell me what to do anymore, so... Mm. Jack, Kelly, I know you're grown up, even though
4: you
2: still live at home and occasionally pick up the phone when you think it's the doorbell, but... <laughs> Well, we have a reference to Five Across the Eyes. <laughs> and that's uh, one of Al's phrases uh, from the later seasons. I remember it was in the uh, Psycho Dad episode, right? Yep. Uh, it was referenced when he was up on the podium. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of other times, I would say, right?
6: Yeah. It's definitely a, a second half of the show's run saying by Al, for sure.
4: Sweetheart, look, wh- why do you think I'd carry your baby picture in my wallet?
0: That's not me, Dad.
4: That's
5: the picture that came with the wallet. Hey,
4: when I bought this wallet, I had a choice, a little boy or a little girl. I picked a little girl. She's symbolic.
0: She's Chinese, Dad.
4: That's what I was hoping you would be. Oh,
0: Daddy. I'm sorry I'm not Chinese. All right. All
4: right. That's all right, now. <laughs>
2: Al talks about trying to keep Kelly pure <laughs> and He talks about how, you know, he keeps uh, her baby picture in his wallet.
6: <laughs> wow. That was pretty funny. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. That, you know, that's like a Rodney Dangerfield joke. He has one. It goes like this.
7: Uh, my old man. He didn't like my looks either, but he carried around a picture of the kid who came with the wallet.
6: <laughs> yeah. That's pretty funny. You know, I'm just curious. Do, do people, I don't think people still do that anymore. Like I, I think that's, that's, that might be a reference that, uh, you know, before before smartphones, you know, you carry around pictures of your wife and children in your wallet. You, you might carry around a picture of your girlfriend or your boyfriend, that type of thing. I, I don't, do people still do that? I don't think so. Do they? No, I, I think probably older people do. Yeah. Older people might. Yeah. But you know, by and large, the younger population that, Uses smartphones on a daily basis. Like, I mean, I, hell, I don't know anybody my age that has pictures of their family in their wallets or purse like that. Do you? I remember my dad years
2: ago had a wallet, but again, this is at least more than twenty, twenty-five years ago. Yeah. That was that was just something that was very common. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I'd say it, it is. A, you're right. It is a time capsule.
6: Yeah. I mean, that'd be something like if a if a 15 year old kid were watching this episode and having never seen it before, they, they might not even get that reference.
2: <laughs> but I mean, that was a, just a funny joke. I mean, the, the back and forth. It's like, well, she's Chinese, Dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was pretty
7: funny. Uh. And the fact he says out of frustration, I thought, and I was hoping that you would be like this. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not Chinese, Daddy.
0: <laughs> Daddy, what is really the problem?
4: Well, because I, I, I want to keep you pure.
5: <laughs> well, we better call uh, Mr. Peabody and the Way Back Machine.
2: So, so we have a reference to Mr. Peabody and the Way Back Machine.
8: there, Peabody here. Once again, it is time to take another revealing peek back into history. What famous date shall I set it to today, Mr. Peabody? October 19th,
2: 1781.
0: Got it. And the place?
2: Yorktown, Virginia, where we shall witness that great
6: moment of the American Revolution when Cornwallis surrendered to General Washington.
1: And away we go!
6: Hector Peabody, uh, mostly referred to as Mr. Peabody, is an anthropomorphic cartoon dog who appeared in the late 1950s and early 1960s television animated series The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle and Friends, produced by Jay Ward. Peabody appeared in the Peabody's Improbable History segments, created by Ted Key and voiced by Bill Scott. In 2014, he was featured in a computer computer animated film, Mr. Peabody and Sherman. I saw all of those.
2: I remember watching uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons. Uh, when I was a kid, and I did see that the 2014 movie as well. Uh, did you guys check that out? No. No? I, I remember watching
6: You know, the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. A little early childhood, but that's about it.
0: This commercial is just pretend. But I mean, Of course I'm going to stay pure until I meet the right man.
1: <laughs>
0: in the meantime, why don't you come to the set tomorrow and you'll see how innocent it is. And if you don't like what you see, you know what you can do.
4: Beat everybody up.
0: You are my daddy. I,
2: lo- I love it when Al just, you know, just kicks the crap out of everybody. Yep. Yeah. I think my, my favorite parts is just when he, like, he grabs the boyfriends and just slams them up against the door, right? Yep.
7: And there was that one scene that like when they went to the movie theaters he beats up kelly's boyfriend yep. in the back it says and that's why cable tv will never replace the movie going experience mm-hmm.
6: yeah that's a legendary scene that's one of my favorite endings of, of any married but children episode a1
2: moving right along we go back to the set with the director
3: okay, actors on the set for the reading so what kind of kiss do you think it'll be
4: there's only one kind Man faces woman, closes his eyes, imagines he's with someone else, just like so.
3: You truly are a Neanderthal. I mean, there's all kinds of kisses. Open mouth, closed mouth, tongues. Tongues? The tongue has no place
4: in passion.
1: Excuse me,
4: uh, Mr.
8: Director. I'd like to talk to you about this kissing with tongues. Wrong set. They're casting showboys down the hall. So, Alan Marcy talks about
2: the type of kiss. There's open mouth, closed mouth, and tongues. <laughs> and Al says the tongues have no place in passion. <laughs> 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 we have a, uh, a reference to Showgirls, because he talks about they're casting Showboys down the hall.
6: So, uh, Showboys is a reference to Showgirls. Showgirls is a 1995 erotic drama film directed by Paul Verhoeven and written by Joe Esterhaas starring Elizabeth Berkley, Kyle McLaughlin, and Gina Gershon. It centers on a street-smart drifter who ventures to Las Vegas and climbs the seedy hierarchy from stripper to showgirl. Produced on a then-sizable budget of around $45 million, significant controversy and hype surrounding the film's amount of sex and nudity preceded its theatrical release. In the United States, the film was rated NC-17 for nudity and erotic sexuality all throughout some graphic language, and sexual violence. Showgirls was the first and to date only NC-17 rated film to be given wide release in mainstream theaters. Distributor United Artists dispatched several hundred staffers to theaters around North America playing Showgirls to ensure that patrons would not sneak into the theater from other films and to make sure film goers were over the age of 17. Audience restriction due to the NC-17 rating coupled with poor reviews resulted in the film becoming a box office bomb, grossing just $37 million. And I have never seen that movie. How about you guys?
7: I've never seen it, but I I, I do remember there was an episode of The Simpsons that parodied Showgirls. That's the first time I ever heard of the film in which um, Marge and Homer, they're in the movies and they're in this um, dressing room. You got all this talent and you're throwing it all away. Screw you. Screw everybody. Okay, girls tops off. It's showtime. And in the, in the next scene, you have Homer and Marge in the car. Homer is carrying a teddy bear that has a little pennant flag that says show girls on it. Yeah, like uh, just as that um, lady in, in, on the screen was about to take off her top, they cut to Homer having a, an excitement fi- scene on his face. And that was what I got the most uh, kick out of in that.
2: Uh, you know, I'll say like, you know, the crappy reviews for it sort of signal to me not to watch it. That's I've never watched the film, and I think it's because of the poor reviews that came out about that film. But I did enjoy Elizabeth Berkley and Saved by the Bell, so I don't know, maybe it's something that should be uh, checked out. You know, and I feel like she really got a lot of flack for that. I mean, I think, like, she was really panned because of that film, you know, which I don't think is very fair for the actor or actress, right? I mean, they're playing a part, right? <laughs> And just because the film did bad, it's not necessarily because of the performance. I mean, from what I understand, actually, she did a good performance. It's just that maybe yeah. they didn't like the storyline or something like that. But that's not the actor or actress's fault.
6: Exactly. Yeah. I never blame a, <laughs> you know, if a, if a film gets panned, I never bl- necessarily blame the actor. Like, hey, you know, they they took a job, did the best they could with the writing, you know.
7: And, and I've been seeing some of the reactions for this film here, and like even uh, even the uh, some of the actresses um, that starred in it, they admitted that they uh, made a horrible film. For example, there's one that said, "I was absolutely gobsmacked." I said, "This is horrible, horrible." It's a very slow sinking feeling when you're watching the movie, and the first t- and the first scene comes out, you're like, "Oh, that's a really bad scene."
2: <sighs> so it's revealed that instead of kissing. Kelly and Jefferson are supposed to engage in some post-coital coffee drinking.
8: No, no! Kelly's my daughter. I want to make sure this kiss is quick and clean. Oh, well, they're not going to kiss anymore. We did some research and the audience felt that kissing after the third date was too 80s.
3: I'm glad this country's finally come to its senses. So what are you going to have them do?
8: What's that bed for? Oh, come on, Mr. Bundy. You're a married man. Yeah. What's that bed for? We in the business call it sex. I don't care what you call it, my daughter's not doing it. Mr. Bundy, they're not really having sex. In fact, the commercial takes place after sex when they're having coffee. <laughs> How can someone drink coffee in their sleep?
2: Uh, it's it's just funny. Like uh, so, the director's like, "It uh, <laughs> uh, Oh come on, Mister Bundy, you're a married man.'" <laughs> and I says, "Yeah. Well, so, what's the bed for?"
6: <laughs> oh God! And then and then he goes, well, "How could they be drinking coffee if they're asleep?" <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, and we know that about Al, right? I mean, he likes right. to go right to sleep. <laughs> Actually, even sometimes during sex. <laughs> as, as, as Peg uh, mentioned uh, on, uh, on, uh, on certain episodes.
3: <laughs> I'll handle this, <laughs> Uh
2: so, so Marcy makes uh, a reference to McGilla.
4: We've got a
8: gorilla for sale, Magilla. For sale, won't you buy him? Take him home and try him. Gorilla for sale. See in the window, gorilla gorilla, full of charm and appeal. Handsome, elegant, intelligent, sweet. He's really ideal. Want a little gorilla? You can call your own. A gorilla who be with you when you're all alone.
1: The Magilla Gorilla Show, starring me and Mr. Peebles
4: with Mush Mouse and Pumpkin Puss and Ricochet Rabbit and Drupal. Gorilla,
8: Magilla Gorilla for sale. How much you got, Gorilla, in the window? Take our advice. At it.
2: So, Magilla is Magilla Gorilla, who is a fictional gorilla and star of the Magilla Gorilla show by Hanna-Barbera that aired from 1963 to 1965. So, we have a bunch of cartoons uh, mentioned in this episode.
3: My husband is not having post-coital coffee with anyone. I don't care how much money you pay him.
8: How does $50,000 sound?
3: Quiet on the set!
8: Did you hear that? I just still can't figure
2: it out. Sex, then coffee. It's just wrong. <laughs> $50,000 makes everybody change their opinion about what's going to happen. Especially Marcy.
8: Quiet on the set. Okay, I, I know you just got these new lines, so we're going to have a code reading here in the set and see what we've got.
0: Okay.
8: Good morning, darling.
0: Well, Lance, you sure fixed the squeak in my bed. You're wonderful.
5: So, the sex was good for you, too, huh?
0: No, it was awful. (laughs) But the coffee makes it all worthwhile.
8: Then you sip, and then you smile, and then we're done. Great, how do those lines feel? Uh, we have a note here from
2: annabelle so when does jefferson wear glasses
7: i think that's the first time i've ever seen him wear glasses
6: probably only yeah
7: first time i know of it so so
6: i was i was going to ask you guys so this is kind of funny because because we're all three guys so i'll ask you all first let me do the inflation adjustment here so fifty thousand in 1996 would be about 93 grand today so so we're, we're uh, three of us. We're guys. I- I'll ask you first, Luigi, if you if you got an ch- opportunity to, to be in a commercial in the same position as Jefferson and they were going to make a joke that you were bad in bed, but you get paid ninety three thousand dollars for the commercial. Would you do it? I would do it twice. <laughs> How about you, Carl? You get ninety three grand, but they're going to make a joke that you're bad in bed. Would you do it?
7: Uh, for a three-year salary, you'd bet your ass I would do it. <laughs>
6: oh, I would, too. I just was curious where y'all... Uh, I mean, acting is acting to me. I mean, you could... I, I would do damn near anything for a 60-second commercial for, for 93 grand. Right.
5: <laughs> uh, problem over here. Look,
8: what, what, what exactly does she mean it was awful? She means you're bad in bed. I am not. Okay, Lance is bad in bed. Look, you don't seem to understand. To millions of women out there, I
5: am Lance. Okay, I can't have them thinking that I'm bad in bed. Now, how about if I'm good and she's bad? That's the way it is in real life.
8: (laughs) You're gonna have to rewrite this script, pal. We can't do that. See, this commercial is geared towards women, and we all know they can never be satisfied. That's, That's true. true. <laughs> Which works for us, because if men really were good in bed, women wouldn't need flavored coffee. Well, look, pal. I'm a
5: real man, and I can't pretend to be anything less.
8: Marcy, could I have a ride home?
3: Take the bus with the other real men. I mean, I mean, Mr. Darcy, this happens to older
0: married men all the time. I've I've heard.
2: Look at, uh, you know, the jokes. I mean, Ed O'Neill as Al Bundy. Like, you know, all the jokes about how sexually inept he is. David yeah. Faustino as Bud Bundy. I mean, I mean, the list goes on and on. They're effectively making, you know, they're, they're not making fun of themselves as people. I mean, they're just playing a part,
6: right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I was just curious what you guys thought.
2: <laughs> but I, it just goes back to that. But, I mean, that really hurts Jefferson's pride, right?
6: Yeah.
8: <laughs>
6: well, that's a wrap.
8: Actors, maybe we should rethink this whole campaign. I've got it. Frogs. Coffee-drinking frogs. Frogs. <laughs>
2: So we have this reference to coffee drinking frogs, and that is a callback to spring break episode when uh, the girls talked about the Budweiser frogs, and that was a very popular commercial uh, during this period of time.
6: Yeah, that was an iconic commercial.
7: In fact, the the Simpsons parodied it. I think Budweiser cars. that was the best one
2: yeah so Jefferson storms off because he's pissed off about the script and uh, Al and Marcy sort of (laughs) uh, look at each other because now they're out 50 grand and uh, we uh, end with Al and Marcy on the bed doing some really bad acting Uh, uh, Mr. Director listen
5: before you go with frogs hear me out action
3: Well, Vance, you fixed the squeak in my bed. You're wonderful.
4: So the sex was what? What's the line? Good for you. So the sex was good for you.
3: No, it was awful, but that's what makes the coffee all worthwhile.
4: So the sex was good for you, too, huh?
3: <laughs> no, it was awful.
8: Cut, Thank you. That's enough. I'm going home. Someone get me some frogs and some bourbon.
6: <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty funny, just understanding the joke that, uh, you know, the two of those hate each other. And, uh, you know, uh, for what it's worth, we, we found out in retrospect that uh, there was some, uh, some a, a fair amount of behind the scenes uh, dislike between uh, Ed O'Neill and uh, Amanda Bierce or, you know, or maybe they didn't necessarily dislike each other, but they certainly had uh, personalities that conflicted with each other, I guess is maybe the best way to say it. So <laughs> that's uh, pretty funny looking back and reflecting. What do you guys think?
7: Well, I heard that these two never got along together, and, and then when Amanda f- finally got married, I heard that she never invited Ed to the wedding because she was afraid that he would smirk and laugh throughout the whole ceremony.
6: Yeah, she she actually spoke about that a little bit. Uh, I think she spoke about that briefly in the, uh, whenever Alex and, and crew interviewed her way back in, I guess. Uh, that was in 2017. Two. Yeah, 2017. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's so long ago now, but yeah, I guess that was back when they were starting off with season two, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> one thing I'll say about those two is we, it seems like no matter what show you have, whether it be uh, Family Matters, you know, I have I found out about the drama between Jalil White and uh, the lady that played uh, Harriet Winslow on the show. You know, it, it, it always seems like no matter what show there is, there's always some sort of behind the scenes drama or two people that don't necessarily get along or what have you. But I'll give Ed O'Neill and Amanda Bierce a lot of credit, man. They're both professionals and they never let it get in the way, at, le- at least uh, from what we see on the camera. You know, <laughs> I would if, if if the two of them hadn't spoke about it in recent years in interviews, I would have never known. I mean, how about you, Luigi?
2: I've seen them in interviews. Mm-hmm.
6: But I mean, I've seen, had, I've, I've, seen inter-
2: I, I, I've seen interviews. But the thing is, it, you didn't get into the specifics. And Amanda Beers, when she was on the on the podcast, she got into more specifics than I think I'd ever heard on the interviews.
6: Yeah. But, I mean, had they not spoken about that in interviews, you would never know that. I mean, they, they're, they're both professionals, and, and they, they turn it on when the camera comes on, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah. One of the things that's interesting about this episode, just before we get to the reviews, is that when we get to the end credits, we have – it's almost like uh, some additional footage once they play the credits. That comes with Al and Marcy sort of finishing off that commercial which is something we've never really seen much of in Married with Children. Right, I mean, you get to the end, and then you get credits, and you're done. Yeah. So, the sex was good for you,
4: too.
3: No, it was uh, awful. But that's what makes the coffee all worthwhile. Hey, how was that?
8: Great.
3: Let's try it again now
4: so the sex was good for you too
3: no it was awful but that's
0: what makes the coffee all worthwhile
3: well that was good for me was that good for you al
2: (laughs) i mean did did you guys notice that
7: yeah this is one of only a few episodes in which we um actually see um more of the episode progressing as we go into the credits right
6: I can I can think of a couple of instances that one of the one that comes to mind right away is the courtroom scene at the end where Kelly's sitting there and she goes, where is my damn cheeseburger? (laughs) Remember that one? (laughs) That was that was an after the credits thing, uh, you know, after the credits scene. Uh, I, I feel like we may have seen it one or two other times. But, yeah, it's very rare. No doubt about that.
7: There was another one a few weeks back in Calendar Girl in which Bud is sitting there staring at a at a staticky television oh yeah and then there was an and then a few years back there was when the when the bunnies were in the movie theater the bunnies are sitting there as the credits are rolling by and said oh here comes the columbia logo boo
2: that's right and you know in season 11 we're going to have a completely new format in terms of how the episodes are presented and that'll be coming up uh in a few weeks
7: believe it or not we're already there No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app, and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcasts with a small monthly donation. You can email them at MarriedWChildrenPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for
6: checking out this review.
2: So, Chris, how many cups of Romantic Roast Coffee are you going to drink in review of this episode?
6: Well, I do like this episode. I enjoy it. You know, we uh, we we talked, you know, we've we've spoke about some of the struggles that the show has had in season 10 with the absence of Katie Segal and also the absence of Amanda in some of them, because she's in the director spot. Uh, Well, she's not directing this episode. So that so that's good. So we so we have Marcy in the episode and she's active and involved. Of course, we don't have Katie Segal because she's still out on maternity leave. But I do enjoy this episode. I think it was a good idea. The screenplay is good the the writing is is fairly good for for this era of the show i enjoyed the the, the main plot of it uh, you know the, the main the main issue that they play, takes place is, is are al and, and marcy going to go for uh, jefferson and kelly doing these commercials you know is it, are they going to do it and there there wasn't much of a b plot really i mean what was the b plot exactly
7: i don't think there was any
2: there, there, there really wasn't much
6: no Yeah, there wasn't much of a B-plot. I guess the B-plot would be the the exploitation by Bud and and Griff and Al there at the shoe store, but there's not much of one, put it that way. But I do enjoy this episode. I found it to be funny. I don't think it's a Hall of Fame episode, or you know, I I don't love it or anything like that. It's not a masterpiece, but I do enjoy it, and I'm going to give it three and a half, what is it, coffee cups out of five? Is that right?
2: uh cups of romantic roast coffee
6: all right i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it three and a half cups of romantic cups of coffee out of five i feel like it's uh for for this era of the show i feel like it's pretty good so i'm gonna go with three and a half
2: okay so carl how many cups of romantic roast coffee will you be drinking in review of this episode
7: well, thank you guys for having me on this episode first of all and this Salama Torch on duet are my two favorite episodes during the later part of season ten and in this particular one, they did a really good job um, executing without Katie Seagal there and there there's a couple of things I've noticed in this episode like they're very rare um, and, I, and I and I give very good credit for them doing it. The first is I think it's one of the one of the only times if not the only time which we see. Kelly and Jefferson working together in the same episode. And then it's also one of a handful of times in which we also see Al and Marcy in some way actually getting along with each other. Because I remember a few other times we've actually seen Al and Marcy getting along. I think it was that episode back in was it season four at, at the zoo in which Al and Marcy are sitting in, in, in the bar talking. In this particular episode, they're getting along with the fact of trying to talk Kelly and Jefferson out of doing the coffee commercial and let's see we also have it's also one of two um, times in the show in which we also see Al and Marcy um, in bed together except this time they're acting in a coffee commercial their acting is not as good as as Jefferson and Kelly's, but they did try to pull their best to um, execute their commercial and I think that was uh, basically bud's desperate move of trying to keep this commercial in his hands. Overall, I like this episode. The later episodes, I tend to favor more of, so that's why I tend to give higher ratings in the later episodes. And this one, I'm going to give it um, one of the the, the higher ratings that I have throughout the most of the season. So I'm actually going to give this a four cups of romantic roast coffee out of five.
2: Thank you, Carl. So for myself, I I really, actually, you guys touched on a lot of the points I was going to talk about. Uh, this is one of those episodes. Now we know from the interview with Amanda Bierce that they really weren't on good terms with Ed O'Neill and Amanda weren't on good terms. So I have to give them credit for working together on the script. Right. <laughs> and you're right about uh, the last time they were in bed together was in one of the Amber episodes. Yep. Uh, Chris. Sleep in Chicago. I would say, you know, a couple of callbacks to the past. One of the things I'll say about this particular episode is that it was actually a somewhat grounded episode, if you think about it. I mean, we've had some truly cartoonish episodes pop up uh, in season 10, but this one was actually somewhat believable in terms of the plot, right? And it wasn't so over the top, but I felt like the dialogue was a little weak. And because of that... Well, um, hold on. Uh, Before I I, I get to the the, the number, Uh, I mean, I felt the dialogue was weak. I felt the, I I thought the setup was good. I mean, and I also thought that, I mean, there could have been more of a use of Bud. I mean, he seemed like a little ancillary. It was a Kelly, Jefferson, Marcy and Al episode, which is rare. I mean, I'd say like you never really get like sort of that dynamic. Again, Katie Seagal is away, so there's no Peg Bundy. Bud was sort of there for a couple of lines, but not really like utilized. And overall I thought the dialogue was weak. A couple of funny jokes. You know, I had made reference to Rodney Dangerfield with the uh <laughs> with the picture in the wallet joke earlier. To me, one of the things that makes Married with Children funny is the setup joke, setup joke, setup joke type of formula, right? Where it's like you're you're laughing about the joke that was just, they just talked about like three lines ago. And now all of a sudden you're just recovering from that. And all of a sudden now you have something else thrown at you. One of the things that this episode also relies a lot on is visual gags to make it funny. And uh, like almost like, you know, Bud with the sign over, over him. Like Al sort of waving his fist with the five across the eyes. He does that a few times, but uh, the writing itself was a little weak. So I'm going to give it a three. Three cups of romantic roast coffee. And that's it for this week's edition of the Married with Children podcast. So Carl, thank you so much. We really enjoy having you uh, on the podcast. We really enjoy your comments every week. So just thank you, you know, on behalf of the team, just thank you for being a fan. And uh, we look forward to having you on again in season 11.
7: Thanks for having me back, Luigi. I look forward, hopefully I get to be back on another episode or two before the show comes to an official end.
6: Yeah, man. Thanks for joining us, Mr. Wildcat. We, we, it's our pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Next
2: week on the Married with Children podcast, Chris and I will be reviewing Torch Song Duet, along with another special guest co-host, who many of you may know from YouTube. And we won't reveal that till next week. There's a radio contest open to all, except Al, where the winner will get to carry the Olympic torch through the city. Griff wins it and becomes a local hero. And Al is green with jealousy. So thanks again, and tune in again next week. As always, same Bundy time, same Bundy channel.